Uh, sharing a little bit about, uh, I'm, I'm very excited. I've been excited about the book of Ephesians, but I am excited about this verse that we're about to look at. I believe it could be considered the theme verse for the book of Ephesians, and, and I'm even going to share with you the title of uh, the sermon, Walk Worthy, is uh, what I believe, or, or what I could say, would be the theme of Ephesians. Uh, certainly, that's not scriptural. You can have your own theme, but I think the verse that we're looking at, if, if you wouldn't call it the theme verse, you would at least have to acknowledge that this is the pivotal verse in this book. Everything before ch uh, chapter 4 and verse 1 is leading up to chapter 4 and verse 1, and everything that follows after it is Paul uh, embellishing and going into detail what he's communicating in this one verse. So I'm very excited to get there. Um, we certainly want to try to connect you to a little bit of what Paul's about to say in verse chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Um, I think, it, and I want to introduce it by talking about maybe myself a little bit, in that I was blessed it, in terms of the family I was born into. I was born into a family that had uh, unconditional love. Like, my parents, they didn't have to think a whole lot before they knew they wanted to love me. I hadn't done anything other than make noise, and they decided to love me. They decided to love me even before I was born, before they could even see me. I mean, it, it's amazing. All I could do was make my mom uncomfortable in her womb, and yet she loved me. And as a parent, on the other side of that thing, I've been able to know that I loved each child before they were born. And, it, and, and I wondered, you know, with child number four, child number five, if I would get used to it or feel differently or whatever. Um, I'm, sh I'm sure it was different for Christy, you know. But for me, I wondered, you know, what this would feel like. And every time, I would just cry so much. I, and I don't even know what the emotion was. It wasn't sadness. But I would cry to the point where I couldn't see. I was just a mess, you know, and I, I'm mopping my face. I remember one time I'm in the hospital. I had to go to the sink. I had so much on my face. I'm just like with a towel doing this business so I could see. And the nurse is like, did he go throw up? I'm like, no, I didn't throw up. Everything was fine. It's that unconditional love. And, and as a child and as a parent, it's interesting because there's certainly this tension where the love was unconditional. They, like, I received it. I gave it. It didn't matter what would happen. Um, I hope that in, in my life and, and maybe in your life as well as a parent, you also, you gave them that unconditional love, but you, you had an expectation for them, a hope that they might become Christ-like, that they might pursue a relationship with Christ and, and grow to become more like Him as, as you yourself do. I, I certainly hope that's present. There's also something else, and, and it has nothing to do with the love that we've already given our children, but there is an expectation or a standard that we place upon them that they would behave or act or work or have an attitude or treat others in a way that is worth their name. You, know, you, you don't put, like, and sometimes we might go to extremes where we put such an expectation on the child that we find our own value in what the child accomplishes. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the idea that that child would represent their family well. 
that no matter what situation they're in, they would represent their family well. That, that's, and, and I'm sharing a little bit of, of the blessing that I had in being raised in that way. I know your story might be a little different or very similar. I want to share with you two other stories, okay? Two other individuals over here. Um, who knows what this lovely lady is? Who, who knows? Go ahead. You can confess. What? Faith Hill. Faith Hill. Any Faith Hill fans? Come on. Testify. Testify. It's okay. It's okay. I think she sang Amazing Grace one time, so it's okay, really. I just, it cracks me up when people say that. Faith Hill. Um, I don't know a lot about Faith Hill, but she has accomplished a lot in, in terms of a career. Uh, many Grammys, um, over a dozen country music awards. Uh, one of the biggest things she has uh, to her fame is her and Tim McGraw's tour is still the highest grossing country tour of all time. And that's happened several years ago, so that's certainly something to stick on, um, you know, a poster of you, you know, like highest uh, tour, grossing tour of all time. Um, maybe more importantly is all of the things she has been a part of in terms of raising funds for disaster relief. Uh, many, many disasters, especially uh, years ago in Hurricane Katrina, the work that her and Tim McGraw did to raise funds to help people out a uh, very meaningful kind of outreach. You know, it wasn't all about her. It was also about what she could accomplish for the communities that she grew up in or uh, Tim grew up in. So interesting, interesting career. Uh, someone else, maybe a little different end of the perspective. Any, anyone take a guess? This is harder. This is harder. Anybody know? First name? Give you big points. 2,000 points if you know this guy. Yes, Michael Orr. Michael Orr. Michael Orr, this is family. Um, he was a unanimous decision to be an All-American in 2008 for football. Obviously, football, right? Looking at that guy. Uh, unanimous decision, All-American. He was a first-round draft pick, which is a pretty big deal. Only 32 guys can, a year can say that. He was a first-round draft pick. And then in Super Bowl 48, he became a Super Bowl champion. Um, Probably bigger than that, maybe some of you, I'm guessing, would know him from the movie The Blind Side, which was a, a documentary uh, after, upon his life. Now, both this guy and Faith Hill have a very different story from mine in terms of their upbringing. Um, both of them were adopted. Both of them were adopted. They um, had uh, not a lot of relationship with their birth parents but uh, were adopted. And, you know, you, you talk about the stories of them, and, and certainly we know, I think we know a little bit more about Michael Orr from his, the movie, uh, which was, was fairly accurate to his book and his testimony of his life uh, growing up and then being adopted into a family. But at being adopted, the, the parents that adopted Faith Hill and, and Michael Orr, there was no expectation. In terms of, you know, up front, like, you're going to need to do this in order for me to adopt you. They experienced the same kind of, Faith Hill and, and Michael, they experienced the same kind of love that I experienced at birth. This decision that I'm just going to love you, I have no idea what the end result was going to be, but I'm going to love you and invite you into my life. I'm going to care for you as a child. Fortunately, I think for both of them, they, they were adopted into families that were not only 
showing them unconditional love. But at the same time, they also provided an expectation. In, in terms of, of Michael Orr, that, that family had to work tirelessly uh, because they, he came into their life as a teenager. They had to work tirelessly just to get him to a point where he was on par academically. Hiring tutors, uh, encouraging him, providing things. There's so many meaningful moments in that movie. I, I invite you to watch that. Uh, one moment, um, the uh, family is driving and Michael's just walking down the street. And Sandra Bullock, who plays the part of this mom that adopted him, uh, gets out and says, where are you staying tonight? And don't lie to me. And he's like, um, nowhere. Later on in the movie, he's, he's moved in with the family and she goes, okay, I've got this for you. I have this room for you. This is yours. And he's like, this is mine? And she goes, yeah. He goes, wow, I've, I've never, never had this before. And she goes, what, a room to yourself? He's like, no, uh, a bed. It's just powerful moments like that where this unconditional love um, was so powerful to him, but then it carried into this fact that they gave him the love, but they, they expected good of him. And they were going to give him every opportunity to do great things. Well, no matter what your story is or their story or my story, I think we can understand that there is a tension that exists when we can give unconditional love to someone, but yet at the same time have an expectation for them. It's not that our love is linked to it, but we, I think the expectations come out of a love for that person. Paul, Paul is about to speak into this. Uh, if you haven't turned there yet, please join me in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. This is page 828 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to use that. But this all-important verse, about to read it to you. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, Paul, in the first, and, and we're talking a lot about one verse today, so just, stick, just hang with me. Paul, before he is about to make this request of the church, he kind of lets them know where he's coming from, reminds them of where he's coming from. Um, some of your translations may start with the word, therefore, which is a, a, a better literal interpretation, but both of these, uh, the NIV and, and these other interpretations, they, they do a good job with this verse. Um, but in the NIV, it starts with, as a prisoner for the Lord. So he starts this by reminding them. He says, listen, um, as someone who's in prison and is in prison because of what I did for you, I'm about to ask you a question. It, it's, it's, honest, it's a little similar to, uh, again, going back to, to moms. Um, your, your mom ever come to you and say, as your mother, I would like to, you know, it, it's like, I know you're my mom. Why, why, are you why are you starting a sentence with, as your mother, I would like to tell you? It, it's, it's a reminder of, you know, saying, hey, this is who I am, so listen up. Uh, I, I'm about to tell you something important. You know, boy, as your father, uh, it, of course I'm your father. He, he, he's known that from birth. You know, why am I addressing myself, letting him know who I am? Paul's doing the same thing. If you remember, um, just back in... 
chapter 2 and verse 13, we read this, or chapter 3 and verse 13. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So now he's about to make this request. He says, I just want you to know who's asking this of you. It's someone who's in prison for you. Someone who's gone to jail for you. And, and, and he's just reminding them. He's saying, hey, this is who's talking. So please, you know, maybe you want to listen. You want to give me your attention. And then there's this, this word, then. Very important. In other translations, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 starts with the word, therefore. Both of these words accomplish the same thing. They're saying, because of what I've already said. This is why chapter 4, verse 1 is, is really this hinge verse. Paul's referring back to everything he talked about in chapters 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And, and I'm not going to review it all, but the highlights were, salvation is available to everyone. Paul said, for you... And for your family and for everyone you care about and everyone you know, salvation is available to them. That's a, that's a big deal. Paul shared that with the church. He, he then reminded them, guess what? You're not only saved from something, from eternal damnation in a place called hell. You're not only saved from that, you're saved for something. You're God's workmanship, his masterpiece. That's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. He says, God has something prepared for you to do. You are saved to a meaningful existence. You're called to do something. Salvation is available to everyone. Salvation is a call to do something so meaningful and so beautiful with your life. And then he talked a lot in, in chapter 3, the end of uh, chapter 2. He says, by the way, you're saved into something totally new that's glorious, that's built with unity, this thing called the church. You're called into that. How amazing is that? So Paul, who's about to make this important request of the church, really, really sets the stage for this request. He says, I'm just telling you, remember who I am and what I've gone through for you. And then I want to let you know that because of all the incredible things that God has given to you that we just got done talking about, I'm about to make this request. Ephesians 4 and verse 1. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He said, this is what I'm asking. He says, I urge. It, it means just, it's almost like plead. It's not like begging. Because it comes, begging has this connotation of that you owe me nothing. Paul's saying it kind of different. He's saying, you kind of owe me a little bit, and I'm urging you, I'm strongly recommending you, I'm not forcing you, but I want you, like everything but I'm doing to tell you to live a life worthy. Um, different, it was amazing the way this passage was translated, and it, it's so rich, even going back into the Greek, but in the NIV, it says, you live a life worthy of the calling. Other translations would say, I urge you or I implore you to walk worthy. You know, to live life, to make a series of choices that are all worthy. What's this idea of worthy? It literally means that it, it, that it would be worth the investment. Paul's saying, I urge you to live a life that shows everyone around you that it was worth Christ's death to save you. I mean, he, 
almost calling people out. He said, I'm urging you, I'm, I'm imploring you, please live a life that is worth the investment Christ made into your life. You've already received it. And I want to say this again. This is not talking about living a life so you can earn salvation. That is, there, that's nowhere here. Don't hear that. That's not here. This is talking to a group of people who have already received and been taught about Christ's unconditional love and his free gift of salvation. And, and Paul's saying, because you have that, I'm urging you to live a life worth that kind of investment. You know, this makes sense in a lot of ways. We, we've talked about some adoption stories, which are beautiful. And there's just millions of adoption stories, beautiful stories of lives that were saved, literally, maybe, you know, like physically saved uh, out of poverty and, and, and adopted into amazing families. But think of it in other ways. Think of it in terms of a professional athlete. Professional athlete uh, is drafted or signed on. He's given a contract. That, the, the team, the professional sports team, invests and invests and invests and invests into that person before they ever play a game. They, they, all kinds of physicals are done at the expense of the team. All kinds of coaching and training and facilities are made available for this person. All kinds of, the, the best doctors, the best therapists, everything is available to this player. A huge investment goes into this player. They're given money, signing bonus, before they ever do anything. Before they ever step foot on the playing field or in the court. Now, when they step on the field, guess what? There's an expectation. There's an expectation from the coaching staff, from the people who are signing the checks, even from the fans, that that person be worth the investment that was made. Be worth that investment. And when they're not, I mean, we get a little, you know, like angry. Like, man, I can't imagine owning a team, spending all kinds of money on someone who just doesn't work out for your team and then just cutting them loose. That's a hard thing to imagine. Uh, think of it in other, so let's simplify it maybe even a little more, something maybe you and I can understand even better. When you're hired on by a corporation, I remember for me, um, I was sharing with some of the men in our Bible study yesterday morning. I said, you know, when, when I was hired into a factory, I sat down for a second interview, and it was going to be my supervisor. And he said, tell me why I should spend $1,000 to get you here. I said, really? He goes, after all the drug tests and the physical and insurance to get you on the floor for your first day of work costs this company $1,000. I was like, I didn't know that. But that was his question. Tell me how you're going to be worthy of this investment from this company. At that point, I just said, well, I'm, I'm going to be on time and I'm going to work the whole time. That's all he needed. That's all any company needs these days. It's just people showing up on time and working the whole time. That's another, that's another message. But anyways, we understand in the simplest of terms what it means for there to be an investment made and then for us to be worth that investment. But somehow, somehow, so many of us, I don't know if it's because 
we think of salvation as a free gift like it was given to us or we didn't really see the sacrifice that Christ made for our salvation. Maybe we're even uncomfortable watching any kind of depiction of it or video of it. We disconnect our salvation from the price that was paid. But if we can understand how we should be worth the investment of a company or an athlete should be worth the investment of a team or someone who is adopted can live up to an expectation of a family or how we uh, wanted to and desire to live up to the expectation maybe that our parents placed upon us. If we can understand that, shouldn't we be able to understand that Christ desires for you and for me to walk and live our lives in a manner that's worthy of the price that he paid? That's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's asking. And, and, and just many, many invitation right here. Many application. If you're, if you're connecting with me and you're hearing that and you're going, huh, I, uh, I don't know if I've ever thought about that before. If there's not something inside of you that wants to live a life worthy of Christ's sacrifice, I think you need to ask yourself, why is that? That's my, that's my mini invitation to you right now. Why is it that there's not something inside of me driving me to be worthy of his salvation? Well, hopefully for most of us, hopefully for myself and for you, it's not a desire, to, it's not a thing of saying, well, I just don't know if I care. I don't know if I'm interested in being worthy of that. But we're kind of like, how do we do it? Well, the good news is the rest of the study, chapters 4, chapter 5, chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul is going to give specifics like, hey, here's how this looks like. Here's what this relationship looks like. Here's how you do this. Beautiful passages. Love them. I use them all the time in counseling and in just challenging myself. I've referred to this book many times in other sermons, so I'm excited. But what he's going to give us in verse 2 and 3 are just kind of like, here's the components. Here's what you need in order to live a life worthy of his calling. Uh, let me read the, the verses, and then, and then we'll go to the TV and, and take, take a look at these phrases. Chapter 4, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So here it is. If you're here and you're like, I, I want to live a life worthy of the salvation that Christ has given me, here are the components. It's not, you know, what do you need to do tomorrow? Or It's saying, here's what you want to have a, as a part of your character. Here are the parts of Christ's character that you need to put into your life so you can accomplish this. First thing he says is humility. And these are just Pastor Johnny's definitions, okay? So if you want to tweak it a little bit, go right ahead. These, I believe these come from scriptural principles. Humility. Humility is placing others ahead of yourself. Are you able to do that? Do you think in terms of what do other people need right now? Or is it all about you? Gentleness. Gentleness. I'm kind of defining this by what should be absent. Um, because it challenges me, because my default is to be harsh. That's what's always in my heart, and I always need God to go, 
No, that's not what you need to look like. You need to look like this over here. Never harsh in word or attitude. Gentleness. Patience. Patience is giving someone else every opportunity. It it doesn't mean letting people walk all over you, but you give them every opportunity to do the right thing. Give them every opportunity to pursue a relationship with Christ. It's hard. Patience. How about being loving? It's, It's treating others the way Christ treats you. That's what being loving is. Because we can do a whole lot of things with the word loved, can't we? But in the New Testament especially, it's love others because God loved you. Treat others the way Christ treated you. It's not, has, love has nothing to do with what they're going to do or not do. Has no, the love has nothing to do with how they treated you yesterday or what they said to so-and-so. Love has everything to do with the fact that Christ loves you. That's what, that's what love in the New Testament is, is all about. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, be loving. Lastly is this determination. I love the way Paul says this. I, I just put it into this word, determination. And, and if you and I were honest, we're already determined, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We're determined for what we want. <laughs> when, when you want something, you're determined to get it. Sometimes it's just your way. <laughs> I just want my way. Well, I don't know what that is, but it's my way, and I'm determined. So we're very good at this. Notice where Paul puts this. He puts it at the end of verse 3. He gives you all the other things and then says, be determined, meaning about all these other things. Let your determination be to love. Be patient. Be humble. Be gentle. Be determined to do those things. Channel your determination in the right way. Living a life worthy or walking worthy is simply living a life that's worth the investment that was made. It, these components can come out in all different areas, and again, we're going to continue to look at some specific things. But, you know, when, when you get that phone call, and um, you need to be loving, you need to be gentle, you need to be patient. It's a little difficult sometimes. Before you post that message, before you let off steam on social media, take a look at that. Is, that. is that gentle? Is that patient? Is it loving? Is it kind? When you're at work, are those components a part of, of your life? When you have that conversation with your spouse, or when you have that intense conversation with your spouse. It happens. Are those components present in your life? That's what living a life worthy of that calling. Let me pray for you. And then uh, Ed's going to come up, share a couple things, and, and dismiss us with a benediction. Our Father in heaven, I love and praise and thank you for this all-important verse, this incredible challenge to me to live a life worthy of your salvation. God, help me to do that. Lord, for those that are here this morning and and for whatever reason, there's not something in them that's causing them to desire this. I pray that you would help them to explore the reason why. 
And for all of us who do want this, who do want to live a life worthy of your salvation, I pray that you help us with these components. Continue to give us opportunities to exercise and change this part, these parts of our character so that they may be more Christ-like. In your name, amen.